One of the greatest baseball players is Albert Pujols. However, I want you to think about something when, when you think about like the greatest baseball players. Albert Pujols has a batting average that he hits the ball roughly three out of ten times. Okay? Three out of ten times. The worst player on his team hits the ball roughly two out of ten times. Think about that for a second. The difference between the greatest and the guy that you'd like to skip over is just one. Oftentimes, oftentimes, the difference between greatness and nothingness is just one minor thing. Why? Because in all reality, as humans, our greatness pales in comparison to our God. It is our God that gives us any greatness we have. And so baseball to me is an amazing reminder of our need for humility. Because even greatness misses the ball 70% of the time. Today we're going to be looking at Daniel 4, the second half of Daniel 4. And we're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar is going to get it. He's going to realize that it's not all about him. It's really about the God of the universe. Before we dig into Daniel 4, I want to start with our memory verse of the week. If you would uh, recite with me our memory verse of the week, Daniel 2, verse 18. Say it with me. Daniel 2, 18. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel 2.18. Today, what we're going to look at in Daniel chapter 4 is we're going to see that we must be wary of our natural tendency to overemphasize ourselves. We do this by placing the emphasis instead on God. And finally, I want you to see that our humility must be rooted in proper theology. So we'll dig into that. And we'll get going with Daniel chapter 4. Let me sort of set us up before we read any text. Last week, we looked at Daniel 4, the first half of it, verses 1 through 27. And what we saw was a particular dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. This dream warned Nebuchadnezzar about pride. That was the warning of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar, you think too much of yourself, you think you're too big. Knock it off. Do so by taking some action and paying attention to those who are lesser than you in your eyes. And Daniel literally tells Nebuchadnezzar some unsolicited advice. Care for those who are downtrodden, Nebuchadnezzar. That will help you with your pride problem. Today, we're going to see the conclusion of that story. And the unnatural conclusion is, sorry, the not so fun conclusion, the natural conclusion is that Nebuchadnezzar does in fact fail. So as you're turning to verses 28 through 30 in Daniel chapter 4, I want to give you sort of the first main point of emphasis. Be wary of the natural human tendency to overemphasize self. Be wary of it. It is natural. We tend to overemphasize ourselves. Let's look at verses 28 through 30. 
Nebuchadnezzar writes, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? That's what Nebuchadnezzar had to say. What we see is this occurred 12 months after his dream. 12 months after the warning from Daniel to be careful about your pride problem, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar finds himself walking in the palace. Walking on the roof of the palace. Looking out over Babylon. One of the ancient wonders of the world was probably, most likely, right in view of the palace. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, known as an ancient wonder of the world, built by Nebuchadnezzar for his wife. It was a testament to the grandeur of the Babylonian Empire. The gardens were constructed under the direction of Nebuchadnezzar. They were built in sort of honor of Nebuchadnezzar's wife, Amethyst of Media. You see, Babylon is in the middle of the desert. Media is a lush, mountainous, hilly area. And the sort of story, the, the narrative goes, that Nebuchadnezzar's wife began to miss the mountains. And she began to miss all of the lush vegetation on the mountains. And so Nebuchadnezzar, being the great, powerful man that he was, commissioned for his workers to build a mountain in the city. And this is the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, a terrace structure in which they brought vegetation from all over the world. They had an ingenious irrigation system that brought water up from the Euphrates River to water the gardens. And it was the pinnacle of luxury. It was within view of the palace. Nebuchadnezzar, walking along the roof of the palace, probably could see the gardens that he had built, could see Babylon, at this time probably the largest city in the world, definitely one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And he looks out on this, and he says, look what I have done. Look what I have done. You see, there is a natural tendency to highly value human creations. Nebuchadnezzar states, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as my royal residence? Look at what I have done. Why, I even built a mountain. Herodotus, an ancient Greek, talked about Babylon, the city of Babylon, a hundred years after its fall. And he, even a hundred years later, talked about its grandeur. And the reality is that Nebuchadnezzar did a lot. In fact, archaeologists today, when they're digging up Babylon, most of the bricks that they pull out have Nebuchadnezzar's name stamped on the bricks. But his value was in his human creation. He failed to realize he was nothing. 
Romans 1.25 well aptly describes, says about humans in general, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. That pretty aptly describes us. We do this all the time where we trade the God of the universe for a lie. We have a tendency to overvalue human creations. We overvalue cities. We overvalue structures. We overvalue art. Really anything that we put our hands on, we tend to overvalue. It's not that there's nothing good there, but it pales in comparison to the God of the universe. But Nebuchadnezzar does more than just overvalue the human creation. He follows another one of our human tendencies. There is a human tendency to take the credit. We like to take credit. We like to tell people what we've accomplished, what we have done. Nebuchadnezzar states, by my mighty power, by my mighty power, I've done this. And certainly Nebuchadnezzar had done a lot. I told you that his name is stamped in most of the bricks in Babylon to this day. But he failed to recognize that in fact it was God who had enabled him to do it. Pride is a devastating sin. In fact, it really is the original sin. That's where Satan failed. He said, I will ascend, I will be like the Most High. No. No, Satan, you won't. And no to any of us, you won't. There is a natural tendency to take the credit because there's also a natural human tendency to think too highly of ourselves. I want you to see the last part of verse 30, what Nebuchadnezzar says. He tells us why, why he built this city or why he thinks he built this city. For the glory of my majesty. He thought highly of himself. He thought very highly of himself. One ancient record from Babylon actually quotes Nebuchadnezzar. So we've got the book of Daniel. We also have uh, this other ancient record that says, the fortifications of Esaglia of Babylon, I strengthened and I established the name of my reign forever. Nebuchadnezzar thought pretty highly of himself. Nebuchadnezzar thought his kingdom would be eternal. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was worthy of glory and majesty. Nebuchadnezzar had a pride problem. But if we walk away and we just say Nebuchadnezzar had a pride problem, we failed to apply it in any meaningful way to ourselves. See, we need an action step right here. And the action step is really simple. Ask yourself, where do I overemphasize myself? Where do I make a big deal of myself? I don't think any of you have stamped all of the bricks in the city with your name. (laughs) But what have you stamped with your name? Emphasizing yourself. Emphasizing your empire. 
Nebuchadnezzar had a problem, but we have that same problem. So we could just end it right here with everyone has a problem, but that's not real helpful. We need a solution. The remedy for our natural tendency is an emphasis on God. That's how we fix this problem, is we place the emphasis consistently on our God. Let's look at verses 31 through 33. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you. For until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. I want you to notice, first of all, as we place the emphasis on God, Notice, first of all, where real authority lies. God has the power to grant and take away authority from any human. God has the power to do that. And he does just that with Nebuchadnezzar. It says, even as the words were on his lips. Even as the words were on his lips, God takes action. Nebuchadnezzar, you have crossed the line. God warned you. Extensively, God warned you. God told you about this pride problem. Daniel interpreted it for you. Daniel told you the steps you needed to take. And now 12 months later, you have epically failed. So God acts, even as the words were on his lips. The decree is made. Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. We have to recognize that God is the one who grants authority. All authority comes from God. Jesus actually cites this idea that all authority comes from God in John 19, 11. As Jesus is standing before Pilate, he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above standing before the governor who had the privilege, or so he probably thought, of determining Jesus' fate, Jesus says, oh no, you don't have any power. The only power you have is what has been given to you. The remedy to our pride is to recognize that all authority that we have any power that you have, any ability you have, any giftedness that you have comes from God. That is the first remedy. We need to place our emphasis on God. And one of the ways of doing that is to recognize that God has the power to grant and to take authority away from any human. The fact that this occurred even as the words were on his lips is a reminder of just how much we depend on God. 
God can act swiftly to grant power. He can act swiftly to take power away. Every baseball player is just one out of ten hits away from being cut from the team. Each of us is just one bad day away from losing everything we have. It doesn't mean we should go around in life like terrified we're going to lose it. But it does mean that we should go around in life thanking God for what he has granted us. That's the reality that Nebuchadnezzar finally had to come to grips with. But it's not just over individuals that God has full authority. God has authority over kingdoms of the earth. You see, God is the one who is truly sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. That really comes out in verse 32. God tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be driven away from people. Your kingdom is going to have to deal without its ruler because they will drive you out. Why? I don't know all the details. I'm not a psychologist. But Nebuchadnezzar loses it. Literally loses it. Um, From what we read, he begins to act like an animal. Begins to probably think he's an animal. And the only thing they can do is they can push him out, make him leave. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar is a bit of a mystery. There are all sorts of theories that people have developed over it. It really doesn't matter in the big picture of things. What happened is Nebuchadnezzar was driven out. Why? So that he would recognize that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. God is sovereign, not just over individuals, definitely, but God is sovereign over nations. God is sovereign over kingdoms. On the large scale, God is sovereign. Then verse 33. What happens is exactly what God can animal. You see, God, not humanism, is the only reason that we are more than dumb beasts. This flies in the face of so much of today. Man has not evolved to some higher level than all of the other animals. Not how it happened. God has given man the spirit of understanding. Man has not done it himself. No. God has done it for man. It is God who differentiates mankind from any other animal. It is God who in the Garden of Eden gave mankind that ability to reason. When God created us in his image, God gave us something special. But because it's God, it's nothing we've accomplished on our own. And so in this case, God takes it away from Nebuchadnezzar for a time. Because God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that nothing Nebuchadnezzar had done was of his own. Nothing Nebuchadnezzar had accomplished was of his own. It was and always is God. God gives us our intellect. 
God gives us the ability to have a will. God gives us strength, humor, talent. It all comes from God. So let's turn into an action step. How do we deal with this? Remember, we put the emphasis on God. So our action step is that we're going to take a second right here to pray and acknowledge God's work in your life. And I mean it. I want us to actually pray for a minute before we go on to the next point. Take a second and pray. Father, I thank you that you have blessed us with knowledge, with intellect. I thank you for the talents that you have given so many. But we acknowledge today that those are gifts from you. They are not of our own creation. They are not of our superiority. But rather, they come from you. We thank you for them. We pray that we would use them to reflect your glory. We would use them in devotion to our God, placing our emphasis on you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue on with the next set of verses. And what I want you to see here is the origin of true humility. See, true humility is rooted in your theology. True humility is rooted in your theology. Now, I need to define theology here for just a moment, just so that we're all on the same page. Uh, Theology is a conjunction of the word theos and logos. So, like formally speaking, theology is simply words about God. Generally, theology is the lens through which you view the world where you connect everything to God. How do you connect things to God? How is this aspect of life, this aspect of the world, connected with the God of the universe? Within theology, you break it down into something called theology proper. Theology proper is the study of God himself. And then there are other more broadly areas of theology. Like anthropology is actually a subset of theology. If we believe God created man and man can do nothing independent of God, then properly speaking, anthropology is a part of theology. Now, you take that to the university and they're going to be upset with you. But it's true. Theology, generally speaking, is how do things relate to God. Our humility is rooted in our theology. Let's look at Nebuchadnezzar in verses 34 through 37. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. 
My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. First thing I want you to see, humility is properly rooted in a recognition of God's kingdom. This is the finally getting it. He looks up to heaven. He recognizes who he really is. And he acknowledges God. He cannot fix things himself. The raising of his eyes towards heaven is an admission that God is supreme. In Daniel 4.26, Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar that the kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging God. It says he raised his eyes toward heaven. His sanity was restored. Then he praised the Most High. Most high, he honored and glorified him who lives forever. Babylon was incredible. It would be wonderful to be able to have visited Babylon at that time. But Nebuchadnezzar finally acknowledges God. And what is it that he acknowledges? I love this in verse 34. He acknowledges and glorifies him who lives forever. I am convinced that the key to recognizing God is to recognize his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. I think that will force us into humility. Think about it for just a second. Everything that you know has an expiration date. It's true. Everything you know has an expiration date. I love our sanctuary. There will come a time when we're saying, we need to do another remodel on this. It has an expiration date. My house will one day be a pile of rubble. In fact, the very sun that is lighting our planet has an expiration date. Now, I think it will be long after Christ returns. But everything you know, everything you know has an expiration date. You might say to me, well, what about knowledge? Knowledge doesn't expire, right? Did you know that after the fall of the Roman Empire, they actually forgot how to make concrete? It wasn't until nearly a thousand years later that they actually discovered a document that described concrete. And they said, oh, that's how they did it. Even knowledge that's unaffiliated with God, has an expiration date. But God doesn't. Nebuchadnezzar glorifies him who lives forever. Humility comes, I think, when we recognize it, that the only thing eternal is God and what God chooses to preserve. Humility comes by recognizing expiration dates. Humility also, though, grows from an understanding of man's relationship 
with God. That's verse 35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? When we recognize a true master-servant relationship with God, it should humble us. As we say, yes, God, you are my master. You, God, alone deserve my focus. The other thing that stems out of this is when we recognize that we are fallen sinners opposed to God until we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That itself is humility to say, I can't save myself. Only Jesus can save me. When we recognize our relationship with God, when we understand our relationship with God, our humility can grow. Finally, when we recognize what God wants from us. I summarize verse 36 and 37 with James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. If you just quickly read verse 36, you might actually think that Nebuchadnezzar is being a little bit arrogant, but if you read it carefully, that's not the case. It looks like Nebuchadnezzar is boasting, but in fact, he's not because of the use of the passive verbs there. At the same time that my, my sanity was restored, Nebuchadnezzar didn't restore his own sanity, it was restored to him. My honor and splendor were returned to me. Nebuchadnezzar is not saying he earned them himself, they were given back to him. I was restored to my throne. Nebuchadnezzar didn't take it for himself, it was given to him. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar starts recognizing these things were given to me. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar had been humbled. And God began to show him favor. One of the most important realities that all of us need to know about humility is it doesn't demand that you lie about the facts. Some of you are gifted in extraordinary ways. You're not required to lie about those. Humility demands you recognize the source, the God of the universe. If you are gifted as a musician, you don't have to tell people you don't know what you're doing. But you should tell people that God has gifted you. If you have an intellect, it comes from God. If you have an athleticism, it comes from God. Humility demands that we recognize the source. So an action step for this week. As you take time in prayer and study this week, consider your humility. Think about it. Am I acknowledging God? Am I living out the gifts that God has given me rooted in my theology where I recognize they come from God? Humility will grow from our theology. Pride is defeated when we put the emphasis on our Savior, on our God. So this week, I'm assuming you're going to take some time in prayer and study. And as you do, consider your humility. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you are 
God. I thank you for your strength, your power, your eternal kingdom. Father, I thank you for the ways that you have gifted each of us here. And I pray that in humble posture, we would come before you and acknowledge you. I thank you that through Nebuchadnezzar, you've shown that even the most proud and arrogant can be right with you in our humility. I thank you for your pursuit of us. And I pray that today, this week, as we pray and as we study, that we would humbly come before you. In Jesus' name, amen.